0: Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through
1: interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama sisterhood around the world
0: so, whether your NICU journey was fifty years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone.
1: Hi, mamas! Welcome back to the <laughs> dear <back>. NICU Ma- <laughs> to the dear <laughs> Nikki mama podcast. It's your hosts Martha and Ashley. It's been a real hot <laughs> second, y'all.
0: Um, Ashley, you want to tell why? <laughs> <laughs> where do i even begin you know what i should do i should just like post all of our text messages from the past three months and they'll just be me being like it's another thing i'm sick yes. again and then your cat oh yes
1: yeah La- last week <sighs> we had to put one my older cat down Um, it was super sad. I don't know. So
0: sad. And now you like brought in a cat that is like terminally ill because you guys have so much goodness in your
1: heart. Yes. We, we bought a cat, we rescued the cat and then we realized that she has a lot of health issues. Anyway, listen, all I've (laughs) got to say is screen your pets and get them vaccinated. (laughs) And that's all we have for today. So. I'm just kidding. We, it's just been a couple, it's been a couple of months. And I think, you know, what I'm really proud of us for doing is setting a cadence for this work that is honoring to our journeys, Mm -hmm. Um, because we want to be present here for the listeners. And the best way to do that is for us to be healthy and ready and wise and rested
0: amen and thank you as our beautiful sisterhood and mamas who listen for giving us that space we desperately needed it these past couple months and i am very excited to be back on the podcast especially for today's episode
1: what a way to start it off, to come back strong with a bang. Today, we have Sarah Camarina. Sarah is a, a magnificent Nicki mama mm-hmm. herself, and she's kind of been growing in her relationship with the Dear Nicki Mama community, and we've actually just onboarded her into a leadership role, supporting us with
0: this very podcast, the one that we're talking about right now. <laughs> Sarah, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I would love to take a moment to brag about Sarah. Um, Sarah, I fell in love with you the moment that I met you at one of our Girls' Night Outs. Um, You just brought such a sweetness to the group. You were so encouraging to the moms, I remember. I mean, because you've been coming to the Girls' Night Outs for, when was your first one? Uh, You know,
2: gosh, it's been a while. It was definitely, I think. I believe it was around the end of 2020, like right when I was knee deep in therapy and was feeling like I was missing something, like a level of support that I wasn't getting. Um, So yeah, that group that the girls night outs have been so um, important in my personal healing journey and Mm -hmm. just all the friendships I've made. This group Mm -hmm. is just so great. I'm so, so thankful for it
0: wow and this group is so great because of you and women like you who come in with full hearts ready to heal alongside each other and um Vilma and I get to co-host those nights and I remember when you first popped on we were texting about you we were like oh my gosh I love her I love her I love her so we fell in love with you instantly so we're super excited to be able to share your and Connor's just learn more about your journey and how you've healed and how you've grown, and really introduce you to our global sisterhood. So, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm excited. Well, and I wish all of you guys could see what Sarah looks like. She looks like a professional gamer right now. <laughs> so I'm a little oh intimidated. <laughs> yes. I'm
2: ready for my. I'm ready for my live stream of my uh, of Call of Mario Duty match. Kart. That's,
1: <laughs> right. no, no, that's the only. <laughs> I'm sure there is somebody who does that. There probably Um, is.
0: Probably. Oh, man. Well, Sarah, let's start at the very beginning. Let's start at um, when you found out that you were pregnant with Sweet Connor. How did you find out and when?
2: Yeah, so um, I found out I was pregnant in July of 2019. Um, My husband, Scott, and I decided that we were ready to try to start a family um, we were both in really good places with our jobs and we had both bought a house. Um, and we had a few friends of ours that were also starting to grow their families. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of like, oh, well, we want all of our friends. We want our kids to be the same age. So let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we were really excited when we found out we were pregnant because it happened really quickly. <laughs> um, we were told that it was going to take health, a healthy couple, 12 months to conceive and, um, it took us like two months so mm-hmm. it was sort of a shock but it was a pleasant surprise um and because it happened so quickly I was kind of having the feeling like yeah this is this is going to be so easy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> I was made for this
0: yep <laughs> <laughs> I resonate with that our story was very similar in that way yeah, <laughs> yeah. hey
1: let me echo I think you are made for this yes Um, yeah I think I'm made I
2: could be made for parenting but uh I was my body was not made for (laughs) carrying a baby it turns out it
1: was not it did not go very well you guys what do they say when you start having preterm contractions or like it's right before they say you have an irritable uterus and I just always thought that's nice
0: (laughs) oh girl
1: or
2: the the upcoming, the incompetent cervix. Yes, uh, incompetent uh, yes. Cervix. Thank you, male
1: doctor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? So what came you, up what do
0: you know about a cervix? It's a dumb yeah. cervix.
1: Okay, sorry. Sarah. <laughs> so you were made for this.
2: I was made for this. Um, yeah. So I found out I was pregnant um, in July. And really my um, first trimester of pregnancy was pretty uneventful. I was, I was really sick, um, with like nausea and vomiting, but I was bracing myself for that because my mom was also very sick Mm. with my brother and I, um, but I could not stop throwing up. Mm. (laughs) And because I was a teacher and I knew I was going back to work in a month, I knew that I had to get it under control. Um, so I was super thankful that I got put on a medication Uh, any diclegious moms out there. It Mm. was a godsend for me and it really helped me get through my teaching days. Mm. Um, So that was really great that that worked. Um, So yeah, other than the the nausea and vomiting, my first trimester was entirely uneventful and everything was really normal.
0: And was the NICU something that ever had crossed your mind? Like, as you guys, you know, had you had any friends that had a NICU journey? I mean, what was your knowledge of it before?
2: So I had a, a childhood friend of mine who had a, a preemie baby, um, but I was so distant from from that experience. I didn't ever visit her baby in the NICU. Um, and I don't know. I knew what the NICU was. It wasn't something that even crossed my mind. Um not until I went into labor anyway. Um, but really that first trimester was very normal. We had our 20 week scan. Connor was measuring perfectly. He was perfect. Everything just looked normal. And Mm -hmm. I walked out of that appointment and they're like, we'll call you in a couple weeks to Mm -hmm. schedule your gestational diabetes test.
1: Um, and I didn't make it that far <laughs> so at any of your appointments were you ever considered high risk or were there any indicators no so
2: not not even a little bit so mm-hmm. um, I spontaneously went into labor um, just no explanation so um, at 22 weeks and two days um, it was a Sunday and I was doing my lesson plans um, this was in November of Of 2019 I was doing my lesson plans and I started having weird abdominal pain and tightness Um, I didn't think much of it but it was kind of uncomfortable Um, so I was just continuing to work and just do my Sunday routine and it kept getting worse so I ended up calling my mom and was like mom help what do I do (laughs) she was like call the call the on-call doctor it's probably nothing but better safe than sorry uh, so I called the on-call doctor, and he thankfully was um, supportive of me just going to get checked out. Mm-hmm. He said, go get checked out. It's better safe than sorry. Um, and I really, really didn't want to go to the emergency room. I really just wanted to finish my lesson plans. <laughs> um, and uh, so I decided to take a shower and just try to <laughs> postpone it as long as possible avoid the emergency room bill. Um, Mm. But by the time I got out of the the shower, the pain was so intense that Scott and I, my husband Scott and I decided to drive to the hospital. Um, So when we got there, I was really having a hard time standing. I was so uncomfortable. I was doubled over. When I got into the nurse's gown, I didn't wanna sit on the bed and I was just crying because I was in so much pain and I was just super scared. Um, so they got me onto the, onto the bed and thankfully they were able to find Connor's heartbeat really quickly.
0: Um,
2: and um, the emergency room doctor came in and said, let me just check you out. The baby looks okay, but let me check you out. And um, when he did the exam, we found out that my cervix was entirely effaced, 100% mm. effaced, wow. and that they could see the <laughs> the bulging membranes.
0: Oh, Martha! Yay for
2: yay for medical terms. Ew,
0: <laughs> they're all like, so
2: awful. All those medical terms are awful. Ugh, I know. And like, definitely men made these up. It's so gross. <laughs> right? But but, uh, saying really? There's no other <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we can see the bulging membranes. It's like. <laughs> Okay, I imagine that means you can see the baby. Um, So that was everything after that happened really quickly. They kind of kicked my feet, so they were elevated above my head. They started pumping me full of mag, and they gave me a steroid Mm -hmm. shot. And they put in a catheter, which was just awful. There was just so much poking and prodding going on. And I just remember laying there and being like, crap. I don't have my sub plans for tomorrow, I need to call my friend and tell her to get my sub plans ready. Um, And I think at this point still, I knew things were serious, but I, my mind was still kind of focused on what was going to happen in the upcoming week. Um, So this on call doctor obviously gets in contact with my OB and he shows up so fast, like Mm. in five minutes, and he comes in and he tells me that. Um, they're going to try to place an emergency cerclage um, to try to keep me pregnant as long as possible. Um, but it wasn't something he was able to do. There was some specialist that needed to, to come out. Um, so they started wheeling me up to this room. And right as we were walking out of the emergency room, I felt my water break. Oh. So that sort of immediately changed the plan of care. Mm which was pretty scary. So they took me back, they took me up to the room anyway. And the OB basically told us um, the hospital that we were currently at didn't deliver babies earlier than 28 weeks. And I was 22 weeks
1: in two days, Sarah.
2: So we had to make a choice. So our choice was to deliver the baby and essentially terminate the pregnancy today. Or um, he had called the helicopter preemptively to take us to a hospital that had a level 3 NICU and would be able to care for Connor, assuming that he was able to stay in utero for longer. Um, He started throwing around some, some facts about Micro preemies. And I remember hearing that word and thinking, what is a micro preemie? What does that even mean? Um, he talked about quality of life and brain bleeds and just all the things you don't want to hear as a mom or a new mom or a pregnant mom who was just sitting on the couch doing lesson plans an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so he told us that we needed to make a decision and he would give us some privacy so he walked out the door and my husband and i just burst into tears Mm -hmm. we were just like what do we do there was so much guilt around um feeling like trying to save a pregnancy that maybe wasn't meant to be for lack of a better phrase um but we were just devastated there I felt like whatever we chose was the wrong choice, yeah. and it was really hard. So the OB came back in and said, look, you don't have to make a decision about trying to save the pregnancy today, um, but if you stay here, you're making a choice because they can't care for your baby. So if you want more time to decide what to do, then you guys need to leave this hospital. Mm-hmm. So that was... Was that they put me on the hospital and they airlifted me to a hospital that was about
1: forty minutes away? I think. I mean, f- first of all, I, I, you I can tell that you have processed mm-hmm. so much of your story with so much <laughs> healing and grace, mm-hmm. but um, I really think one of the the hardest things about. Um, the situation you're put in, is that the time frame is yeah. minutes and seconds, right? Yeah. So totally. not only do you have to process, uh, you know, you your your bulging membranes. Thank you, old man. Um, but also, okay, we're going to do an emergency star Oh, just kidding. No. Okay, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, this is what's happening today. And you have about 30 seconds to make a choice about your life and your baby's life. And right. um, I think there's a lot of conversation about this, this type of thing in the greater narrative of the world. And this is what's left out. Like this reality for moms, it's really, really hard Mm -hmm. and and so terrifying. So I mean, I I just commend you two for, for leaning on each other in that moment. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that that is something that it's really hard to articulate to people when I tell Connor's story is that it feels like these things happened in a shorter amount of time. It took for me to tell the story, right? Like these things happened so quickly and, you know, it, yeah. I mean, we, we didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) Um, but I, I am so thankful that we had a choice in that moment. Um, to quickly get to another hospital that would give us more time to make a decision about whether or not we were going to c- continue the pregnancy, um, while we figured out what kind of state Connor
0: was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you—you're on an, a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also a flight plane mama, but I was on a little plane. I wasn't on a helicopter, so I didn't get that experience. <laughs>
1: Oh,
2: you didn't get to sit in someone's lap, basically. No. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, Is I was... Is that how that goes? Yeah, yeah, girl. So they... So it's it's very small. I was... The bed was... 50% of my body was, like, underneath what would be described as, like, a dashboard. And then the other 50% of my body was, like, in between somebody's legs, essentially. Like, they were kind of, like, straddling the bed. Um, and just pumping me full of mag because I, I didn't realize that I was actively in labor. Right. Again, something that doesn't really, you know, those things don't really, uh, register. No, things are happening so quickly. Yeah. Um, but similarly to you, Ash, we, the people on the plane were so great. Um, it was a short flight, but they were, we were cracking jokes and just trying to make light of a terrible situation. mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I, we got there very quickly. I think my husband probably broke all the speeding laws because he, <laughs> by the time I was getting taken off of the helicopter gurney and being put onto the bed at the new hospital, Scott had like bolted into the room. Yes. So I was like, hi, welcome <laughs> welcome to the show. Oh, man. Um, so after we get to this new hospital, um, we were immediately met with the neonatologist that was the head of the NICU and handed us a piece of paper and it looked like an Excel chart that basically had the gestation, the percent oh, survival oh. Oh, and, and, um, the percent survival without quote, um, intact. Yeah. Like yeah. dis,
1: uh, Disabilities, but what do they right, call yeah. it? Like devastating disabilities. Yeah. It's called intact survival rate, which also is an awful thing too. Oh my yeah. gosh. Sarah! They yeah. do the exact same thing for me, and I think like, what is the value of that? No, like
0: no, there is no value. Like
1: I can decide like, oh, let me just close my legs a little longer, and maybe he'll stay in. Yeah. Right, the right. And you're like, let yeah. me just do a V lookup and make a pivot chart with your Excel spreadsheet here. <laughs> that you just provided. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So he well, kind I'm so of
0: sorry.
2: Yeah. It. You know and. I I have the wherewithal to recognize that I it's really dark, but I feel like I needed that it was hard to hear, but it was something that I needed to know because I feel like I wanted all of the information before making a decision. I certainly didn't want to terminate a pregnancy if there was a chance for him to be okay. Um, but it was just, it was all bad news. Um, So over the course of the next couple of days, so basically I got there and it's, you're here till you deliver, whenever that is, hopefully a long time. (laughs) My best friend showed up (laughs) with like Christmas lights and was like, we're going to decorate your room for Christmas. (laughs) I know it's November, but you're here for the long haul. That's so sweet. Um, But um, with all of those consultations, my husband and I basically came to the conclusion that we weren't really comfortable with that, um, any means necessary care, um, in that when he was born, if he was not going to come out with some sort of fight, some, like, if he wasn't trying, I wasn't prepared to put him through what we knew was going to be a really, really long, hard hospital stay, because that to me felt, in that moment, it felt really selfish, um, So we decided to leave the judgment up to the neonatologist who was going to um, be there at Connor's birth to decide if he, um, if she thought that he was going to be okay, if he was going to be born with some fight and, and be ready.
0: Um, So, yeah. So, At what point were they like, okay, Connor's coming, there's no more waiting, it's time?
2: Yeah, so um, thankfully I was able to stay pregnant for nine more days.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Uh Um,
2: Yeah, so after your water breaks, um, they monitor you very closely for infections and they're monitoring the baby for infections and they we had a few ultrasounds during that time trying to get his measurements and trying to um, kind of figure out how big he was going to be because the bigger the baby, theoretically, the, the better chance that they have. Um, so at 23 and 3, I started going into labor and they weren't able to stop it. Um, they, I was in so much pain and they weren't able to pick up my contractions on the, the monitor. And I was so frustrated because I knew I was in labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got checked a few times and I, I was dilating. So it was, um. It was a lot. They gave me some drugs to help with the pain, but I didn't end up getting an epidural until Mm. I was already fully dilated.
0: Oh, (laughs) Oh my gosh. gosh.
2: So that was incredibly painful and traumatic all on its own. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: But they took me into the OR, and um, there were so many people in there. Um, There were several nurses in there. For me, there was the resident doctor who was delivering the baby. There was a neonatologist and then like the whole like a swarm of NICU nurses ready to basically start caring for Connor the second that he was born. Um, so my labor went into the next, the next, um, day. So Connor was born at 3:41 AM. He was one pound, 2.8 ounces. Mm. So that was 550 grams. That was, um, very small um and when he was born there was no crying or anything like that we didn't hear him they basically just swept him away to like an adjoining room and my husband and i and the resident doctor just sat there Mm -hmm. we just kind of waited um i mentioned this in the girls night out one of my first times but there was music playing in the or and it was a Post Malone song. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so mad, you guys, because oh. I was just so, like, feeling so emotional. Yeah. And, like, hormones from yeah. just birthing yeah. a baby. Yeah. And Post Malone singing Better Now. And I'm just oh like, no, it's yeah. not better, you guys. It's not better.
0: No, no kidding. <laughs> uh,
2: so, the neonatologist, like, grabs Scott. So, Scott kind of walks away. And I'm just sitting there by myself. And they let Scott... Look at Connor, and they said that he's taking sporadic breaths on his own, and mm. she needed verbal consent um, to intubate him and take him to the NICU. So we did that, and mm. then they
1: took him away. I didn't get to see him. And so, yeah. so you were awake when they were delivering him. Or were they kind of walking you through what was happening? Not really. Um, it was just... Uh, I mean, I
2: delivered him vaginally. I didn't have a C-section or anything. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a trip because I feel like <laughs> it was just this alternative reality that you don't anticipate when you have a baby or when you, when you find out you're pregnant. You see this big, huge delivery room and mm-hmm. it's everything's really happy and you're mm-hmm. waiting for the baby to cry and it's like just the doctor and a nurse and this was basically like I was on display for so many people
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I just I felt so vulnerable and mm-hmm. so scared that you know all these people are here because they they need to be because this is not a good situation
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: so, well, how long yeah. did you have to wait before you got to see Connor in the NICU? What were the next steps? Yeah. So after the
2: after I delivered him and they took him down to the NICU, they wheeled me over to recovery. And by this time, I had been laboring for a while. It's like six. It was almost twelve hours, ten hours, and I was so tired. I hadn't been really sleeping well in the hospital, and I was. I didn't have anything left in me. I just needed to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um so I was able to sleep a little bit in recovery and I remember at like six AM or so I had just texted my family. I I didn't know what to say on the phone mm-hmm. and I was scared I was just gonna start crying. So I just basically sent a text message saying <clears throat> hmm. Guys, I told you I wasn't gonna cry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I basically just sent a text message saying, um, "Hey, Connor's here. Mm-hmm. He's. Um... <sighs> it's okay. I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> he's. He's." Um smaller than they thought, but um, he's in the NICU and we're going to go see him in a little bit. Mm. So I just tried to sleep for a little bit and um, once the epidural wore off, um, uh, my mom actually met us at the hospital and um, we went to go see him together,
0: you and your mom.
2: Me and my mom and my husband Aww. went to go see him in the NICU. That's so, um, yeah, so we walk into the NICU and the way that our NICU set up, um, I'm, not, I'm actually not sure if all level three NICUs are set up this way, but we did have a pod. So there were, when you walk in, there's a ton of babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you walk in and we're passing these like pods of isolettes and just oh, it's so overwhelming mm-hmm. it's it was a lot so and then just being sleep deprived and just so much was going on we we go over to the bed and um, I just see this little tiny baby in the isolate and he's laying on his side and he has his little goggles on and he has a hat on he just looked like a miniature baby Mm -hmm. (laughs) um like he wasn't supposed to be there
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um and my mom started taking pictures on her phone and I got really mad (laughs) I was really pissed um And I think I've talked about this in therapy a lot. Um, So thankfully, I have the ability to understand now, but that's a trauma response. Um, I was just trying to protect my heart. (laughs) Mm. Um, It just felt like his death was an inevitability. And I just was, I just didn't want to be there. Um, so they talked about uh, the the nurse that was there. I'm so thankful now that my mom has those pictures. Um, they're so special now. Um, but in, in the video that she took, you can hear Connor's primary nurse talking about how he, he was on room air and he was doing okay. Um, and, um, babies go through a honeymoon phase. So, you know, we're just monitoring him. And, uh, you know, you can't hold him, but um, you'll be able to touch him at, at some point. <laughs>
1: um,
2: and that, that whole interaction maybe lasted 15 minutes. I don't think I asked any questions. I was just numb. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went back to my hospital room and was just full of a bunch of different emotions and I remember the nurse came in with the hospital grade breast pump mm. and was like you need to start pumping because you need to like get your milk going and I was just so annoyed and I was like mm. I'm not doing that right now like I everything is just chaotic <laughs> I don't feel like doing this right now mm-hmm. um, but I eventually did um, I was a super low producer it was very difficult but um yeah that was sort of our 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 first experience with with meeting Cotter
0: you you have the ability to share your story in such a way that it's bringing me right back to I don't know about you Martha but I'm just like reminded of feelings that I had That I haven't thought of in a while like you you articulate your story in such a way that it brings us right back and it's really just um an honor and I just want to commend you know and just really say how sacred it feels right now to hear these parts of your story and to live them with you um I think as a preemie NICU mama too there comes this level of grief when you leave your baby and you weren't prepared to not be pregnant anymore. Mm -hmm. And the first time that you get back to your room and you realize that your body is just yours again, and I wonder, you know, how was that for you as, you know, you kind of, you saw Connor, you see that he's out now, but you're back in your room. I mean, did you process any of that, or did that come later for you? Um, I feel like I was just still so,
2: so engrossed in like the fight or flight mode that I didn't even really process. I was just so numb. I think that's, that's the only way to describe it was I was just unable to feel anything. Like my brain wasn't letting me feel anything Mm -hmm. just as a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like I... I mean the only emotion that I felt really was just anger and just that like very deep sense of like why is this happening to me Mm -hmm. and did I do something wrong and I just felt so guilty for my for my son and I felt like I let my husband down Mm -hmm. and my family down (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I actually didn't go back and see Connor again until, um, the evening just because I needed time to just be, mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah. 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 So it it was hard. It yeah. was, it was really hard. Yeah. I think it's really good that to, for other moms to hear this story, right. This, this, Um, The feeling of numbness and um, anger and then also like maybe not even the instinct like the um, I'm going to stay at my baby's bedside no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. I I completely echo your feelings there. Uh, I had that experience with my son too. I think that it's important to remember that that the duality of it all right like you obviously are grateful for the survival mechanisms that helped you survive but at the same time grief the fact that you these ha- things happened and that caused your body to have a trauma response right mm-hmm. the fact that you needed a trauma response at all mm-hmm. you know yeah that you needed <laughs> totally. cortisol to shoot through your body to, to make sure right. that you were there right? You, right that we can grieve that part of it um totally and and also the fact that our brain chemistry is different i feel i feel that way all the time too I, especially early on i think it's hard the comparison game even within the nicu is strong oh, we yeah. were talking about too oh, yeah. right? totally definitely yeah totally but i'm so um proud to know you and to hear mm-hmm. a mom like you share about this because there is no shame in it no. it is is real and beautiful and actually in some ways it means that every way that you fought for connor from that day that moment forward is baby even marked with, with more courage. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about you. So there, thank- <laughs> <So> sweet. <laughs> Take thank that you. whoever made up bulging membranes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I appreciate it guys. Um, so yeah, that was sort of the start of our, of our NICU journey. It definitely wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Um, but the hospital was very gracious in letting me stay for a couple days longer Um, even though I didn't really need to be there. I feel like I bounced back really quickly. (laughs) Um, But they let me stay just because we had easy access to Connor. Um, And he um, had a really, uh, I guess, normal start to his NICU. Um, they ended up having to intubate him. Uh, they intubated him immediately, but they moved him off of the, um, normal Blanking on words here. They moved him to a high frequency ventilator. They put him on the oscillator. So that was the, the ventilator that was doing the most work to, to help him. It was really invasive. Um, and for the moms that haven't seen the oscillator, it's it's very loud and your baby is vibrating, like mm-hmm. your baby is shaking. So that was sort of the kind of my worst fears coming true in that, are we doing something that is, is this the right choice? Are we making the right choice and in, in doing anything possible to keep him alive, right? Like seeing him like that, seeing his numbers, being really high, seeing him being pumped full of Versed and you know other medications just to keep him comfortable. Um, those early days really had me second guessing um, what the right decision was. Um, but as we got to know the NICU staff, and we got to know Connor, and um, kind of see um, that there were medical interventions that were able to help him grow. Um, We were able to comfortably get into a routine of um, going to the NICU twice a day and participating in all of his cares and just Mm -hmm. trying to learn how to be a parent that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you said that you know his Nick you say was relatively normal quote normal <laughs> and you know uneventful um so what were some of his triumphs and his setbacks if you had to like kind of pinpoint a couple of them
2: yeah, so um I would say the I'll start with the setback because it was a pretty major one um so after uh the first week in the NICU. I can't remember exactly when I was discharged, but um, we started having to figure out a routine getting to and from the NICU. um, And what that looked like was we would go on my husband's lunch break together, and then we would go around 7 PM in the evenings for for rounds. So we had a chance to talk to the doctor. Um, And the reason I... I say that is because uh, on day seven of the NICU at about 5 p.m. we got a phone call from the NICU saying that they needed us to come down right away Mm -hmm. and I knew it was bad because they knew at this point that that our routine like we were going to be there basically in 90 minutes anyway Mm -hmm. so the fact that they were like you need to come right now was already a big red flag for us Um, so we got a call to come to the hospital, and when we got there, there was so many people by his isolate. They weren't touching him at all, um, but we saw our primary nurse. There were at least two respiratory therapists standing there. The neonatologist was there, and there I think there were a couple, like, on-looking nurses standing there as well. Um, and I just burst into tears because I think it was just, you could see it in their body. And I could see it with our primary nurse, too. He should have, <laughs> by the time we got there, it was close to seven. And I knew that shift change had already happened. And I was like, what is he still doing here? <laughs> it was time for him to go home. This isn't good. Um, and the doctor basically told us that um, Connor had a really bad blood gas. And he was already up to 100% oxygen on the highest you know, most aggressive ventilator um, and that there was nothing that they could do. Mm. So, that was why we were there. We had to make a decision um, and kind of just sit and hope that he can pull through. Um, Our nurse we knew it was bad because our nurse came over to us and said, "I don't know if you guys planned to have him um, baptized, but if you plan on doing that, you guys need to do that right now." So we, there was nothing that we could do at that time. So they put us up in like the family room, and we just. I mean, I remember just laying there in the bed, like, do I go back and stand by the isolate? I don't want to miss something, but I need sleep. (laughs) Um, and had you like held him at this point at all or
0: anything? Wow.
2: No, we, no, I actually, I didn't hold Connor until he was 31 days old. Yeah. So, um, we hadn't held him. Um, it was just awful. And I, I remember thinking, like, (laughs) we just got into this routine. I'm just now feeling this level of attachment to him that felt more normal.
0: Yeah.
2: And now they want me to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. So we were just crushed. Um, I was super thankful that... um, I don't, they decided that he needed a blood transfusion and thank goodness that seemed to work for him. They, they were able to kind of scale back uh, the oxygen, um, numbers a little bit, um, just enough to try to put him on a different ventilator. So they moved him from the oscillator to the jet ventilator. And, um, between that and the blood transfusion he was able to kind of bounce back um but that was day seven in the NICU and you know we knew that we knew that this was going to be a long a long ride and that was what I mean it it was hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that we were wanting a long ride because we didn't want the alternative right? right but just having to deal with this and do this over and over again like the like the he's not doing good get ready to say goodbye (laughs) just the thought of having to do that over and over was uh, it was a lot but thankfully um that was really the that was the last time that we ever had a really bad scare Mm. um so we feel really lucky that that was that was really the only time, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, it feels so silly, but other than that, yeah. you know,
0: he was right. fine.
1: <laughs> like, <how do> <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Lucky, lucky not quite lucky. <laughs> I would use to describe yeah. it. <laughs> right.
0: Um, uh, yes. And I think, I just think about how like you're kind of put in these positions to make these decisions and you've, you haven't even had the chance to hold him yet yeah you know and to like yeah. have even one norm quote normal interaction with your baby or like you know because had you really had you done like the hand touches like you know what was your extent of really skin to skin with him? yeah, so we had done some hand touches um we were
2: very fortunate at this hospital um, we made very good friends with the physical therapist, mm-hmm. and I remember the first time she was there, I remember thinking why does my one pound three ounce baby need physical therapy. What <laughs> right. are you doing? <laughs> Why are you touching him? Um, but it was really sweet. We were, you know teaching him to kind of self-soothe with kind of putting his hands on his face. and mm. there were some there were definitely some um, joyful moments that we that the hospital staff was able to give us, despite everything being so scary and uncertain. Um, but yeah, definitely we weren't doing any kangaroo care or any skin to skin, you know, the most we had done was basically touch him and change his diaper. Mm.
0: Um,
2: but he had even had a couple of days where we had come in and he was not doing particularly well. So they were spacing out cares even further because cares and people being in his isolate were actually making him worse. Mm. So that was, that's a whole... That's a whole other, <laughs> a
0: whole layer like of me grief. touching you is making <laughs> yeah. you
2: feel bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but yeah, really other than he had some respiratory issues, um, but we are very fortunate for a 23 weeker. Um, he was in the NICU for 115 days. He c- came home on his due date, which was oh, amazing. That, that is incredible. Yeah. He is amazing. Um. And he came home with no oxygen, no feeding tube, no nothing. Um, so we were very, very fortunate wow. um, in that
0: respect. It's a Miracle, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. It's like near impossible to condense it all into like one <laughs> one <laughs> podcast episode, right? Yeah.
1: I think what I feel right now is also a trauma response, but yeah. also because I, so you've articulated so well, like yeah. Ashley said, the, um, it's almost like you come up to the edge of your breaking point yes. and then you go back down and you come up to the edge and go back mm-hmm. down. But you do that dozens of times in one hour, yep. 24 hours a day for 115 days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being yeah. in a thousand minute miniature car accidents and it's really hard to articulate that to people who haven't had that experience. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean even friends and
2: family um that mean well. It's like, "Oh, well, oh, he's doing so mm-hmm. good. He's growing and you can hold him and you're out of the NICU. Like, why do you dwell on your NICU experience?" <laughs> it's like this stuff lives with you. Like this is this is such a
0: mm-hmm.
2: like this is never going to leave me or my husband I know that this is just this is just part of our story and part of who Connor is and the good and the bad and the ugly um Mm -hmm. but yeah just Martha just the idea that it's they tell you it's a roller coaster ride Mm -hmm. and really what they mean by that the roller coaster is just up down up down up down Mm -hmm. (laughs) and if you're lucky you get some straightaways but really it's a lot of two steps forward one step back
1: if you're lucky, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that is, uh, yeah. I, really I, hard I can't to... do roller coasters anyway. So I... <laughs> this is unrelated, but the... word.
0: <laughs> let alone one that involves trauma. <laughs> what? No. Also, whoever told you not to
1: dwell on it, please give me their number. <laughs> I will find their house and I will put, I'll like, set off raccoons in their, in their front yard or something. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Oh yeah. So. You know, there's one aspect to Connor's medical journey, Sarah, that we haven't had the opportunity to chat a lot about on the podcast, and that is ROP. Um, any NICU mom hears that word, that acronym and they're like ah eye exams <laughs> yes. um oh my gosh. I don't want to see those and so you know we'd love to hear just a little bit about Connor's ROP journey and you know when that began and, and what it's been like to monitor that for him today he has the cutest glasses I've ever seen <laughs> he is Beauty. so delicious just, as Goma would say so delicious um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about his ROP journey
2: Yeah, so um, that was also something that wasn't on my radar (laughs) initially, but um, they did make mention about eye problems in the NICU, particularly for babies that need a lot of oxygen support, um, and that was Connor. Mm. Um, So at 32 weeks, Connor had his first uh, very awful eye exam, Mm. where the ophthalmologist... For our listeners who are unfamiliar, um, the ophthalmologist comes with the help of a nurse and they hold your baby down and they Mm. take these medieval-like metal prong things to pry their eye open so the ophthalmologist can look to the back of their eye Mm. um, to check for ROP, which stands for retinopathy of prematurity, and it is a... uh, it's an eye disorder that's caused by abnormal growth vessels from basically for in your retina. Um, and with the abnormal growth uh, can come, uh, with the abnormal growth comes issues with vision or vision loss entirely. Um, so we were told that ROP really impacts babies that were born earlier than 31 weeks and babies that are smaller than like two and a half pounds. And they told us the smaller and the earlier the baby, (laughs) the higher risk. So with my one pound baby that was born at 23 weeks, we knew that it was likely that he was going to have it, Um, but we were hoping that it wouldn't be as um, severe. Um, So similarly to brain bleeds, ROP is measured in five stages, Stages one and two are like no intervention necessary, it'll probably heal on its own. And then three and four require some intervention. And stage five is what they call retinal detachment, which means blindness, vision loss. Um, And I did a little, a little research here and March of Dimes actually reports that 400 to 600 babies um, are legally blind from ROP annually. So those are annual numbers. So this does impact a lot of babies um, in, in, a, in a big way. So his first exam at 32 weeks showed stage one, and the doctor wasn't concerned, and he also wasn't very surprised. And he told us that about 90% of cases, the ROP goes away on its own. No intervention required. We just have to monitor it. Um, but the babies that do need intervention, those 10% of babies that have stage three or four, it's about 50% of those babies that end up with some form of vision loss.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's kind of like once you're in that category, it's all but guaranteed vision loss is happening. It's just a matter of how severe. So that mm-hmm. was a little bit scary for us um, to kind of wait and see. So when he came back two weeks later for a follow up, um, the ROP had rec- had uh, progressed very quickly. Um, And uh, Connor was diagnosed with stage 3 ROP with plus disease, which is just an extra fancy way to say that the blood vessels were doing really weird torques and spins, and it wasn't looking like they were going to heal on its own. Um, And it required immediate treatment. Um, So I was really... uh, vigilant with doing research after his first eye appointment that took me by surprise and i had remembered reading moms uh reading stories about moms who instead of opting for surgery had opted for something called avastin injections and uh, i brought this up with our ophthalmologist because when he told us that treatment was necessary he didn't bring that up on his own uh, he had told us that we were going to have to transfer to the local children's hospital. And mind you, this was already three months into our NICU stay. We did not want to leave. Um, and we definitely didn't want to have surgery if it wasn't, if we had another option because surgery meant reintubation, and it mm-hmm. took Connor so long to get extubated mm-hmm. that I wasn't re- willing to mess around with his breathing, um so we opted for the Avastin injections which they did at the bedside um it took five minutes (laughs) and Connor was a champ Mm. he didn't cry (laughs) um I cried more than he did (laughs) I was told so um we are very fortunate that 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 treatment was an option for us um but I definitely encourage moms that are dealing with ROP to to do the research and pick the best treatment for them because there's definitely downsides to both. Both the laser eye surgery and to the
1: Avastin. Mm-hmm. And how has Connor done, you know, post uh, discharge with, with ROP? How has that developed? Oh. Yeah. So when we
2: left the NICU, um, we still had to go see this ophthalmologist at their practice um, bi-weekly, or uh, (laughs) bi-monthly, bi-weekly. We had to go twice a month um, to do these eye exams. And it's the same thing as the NICU, but he's bigger now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we actually had to do those eye exams until the end of August of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that You know, again, echoing that for a lot of moms, the NICU journey doesn't end when you leave the NICU. We were still dealing with this um, ROP journey. So with the Avastin injections, it slows down the growth of all of the blood vessels, whereas the laser basically just lasers off all of the bad. But when you laser off the bad, you are basically getting rid of all of their peripheral vision Mm. so we wanted to give Connor a shot at having some peripheral vision but with choosing the Avastin it meant closer monitoring basically until the blood vessels finished growing all the way to the front of the eye so that was a risk we were willing to take but um, I will tell you sitting at those eye appointments Mm -hmm. and standing outside of the door and listening to your baby scream while two strangers hold them down uh, really makes you second guess um yeah Mm. and even at one point i remember it it must have been like july that the doctor told us you know (laughs) he's getting too big to be held down if if this doesn't finish we're going to have to do laser anyway (laughs) so that was rough um so today his vision uh is not it's not great Mm -hmm. but it's adjusted with glasses um But when Connor was 12 months adjusted, or 12 months actual, uh, he wasn't sitting or crawling or pulling to stand. Um, And we didn't qualify for therapy services when he first came home from the NICU. So I was frantically trying to get him reevaluated and then had this epiphany that he probably can't see. (laughs) So I made the ophthalmologist do a vision test, even though they don't typically do them for babies that small. And his vision was terrible. For my friends that have glasses, the ophthalmologist told us he was minus 6.5 in both of his eyes, which is, he can't see three to six inches in front of his face. Um, But this doctor, told us, um, you know, the baby's world is so up close, he doesn't need glasses, like it's not oh affecting him. And I was like, that is crazy, yeah. because if you think about it, he's probably scared to do all of these things, yeah, because he yeah. literally can't see three inches in front of his face. Yeah, He, de- he doesn't know if it's a couch or a dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Poor kid. Yeah. Um, so that was my first mom moment of feeling like I needed to get a second opinion, yeah. which I did. <laughs> and this new ophthalmologist absolutely agreed with us but not only did not only did he agree he also identified that his left eye his like bad eye was not a minus six but was a minus (gasps) 9.5 oh my gosh oh my
0: goodness so
2: this poor guy really was missing out on so much i know and i am not joking when i say within a 14 day span of time he was Sitting,
0: no way. crawling, oh my
2: and pulling to stand. <laughs> wow. Wow. A, a, like in a 13, 14 wow. period of time. Dave, yeah. Wow. So by the time we had our therapy evaluation, it was like, I don't know if he needs therapy, but you're already here. So yeah, let's, let's just yeah, do yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: my goodness. Oh.
1: This is what they're talking about, too. You know the graphic. You know what, I'm sure, Sarah, as an educator, but, like, the idea of, create, of equity, right? Like, especially for kids with disabilities. So, like, there's a fence. And the way some kids need to have an extra box so they can see over the, the fence, right? Totally, And then yes. when he gets that, his world, like, takes off. Go, Connor. I know. It was
2: it was so special. And it was such a mom win for me. Yes. Um, yes. It just made me feel so good, yeah. especially because, you know, life after NICU was not easy Mm -hmm, um a lot of mental health stuff going on but um that really lifted my spirits seeing connor see some level of success and then recognizing that
1: it was because hey i did that yes you did yes well so speaking of uh coming home and you mentioned your mental health journeys could you talk to us a little bit of how you began the healing process yeah um it is
2: still a work in progress Mm, right (laughs) as you guys know. Um, uh, but Connor was readmitted to the hospital with pneumonia, Mm. um, in September of 2019, which is a whole other thing on its own. But, um, he also was admitted again, two weeks later with what looked like seizure like activity. And after that, I was just broken. I, I, I. I think that was probably the lowest point, Mm -hmm. even lower than me going into labor with him because I was just fully exhausted Mm -hmm. and just, I, um, it was very evident that I I needed to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, looking back, I, I definitely played down the severity of my postpartum depression because you do those surveys and it's like, I feel sad. It's right. like, well, of course I feel sad. Look yes. at all the things we just went through. Yeah. Right? Right. It's like I
1: cry, and it's like, well, of course I cry. Like, okay, well, I'm <laughs> it's like, how much the time? And you're like, is it like all the time? Well, It's like if I'm not, if I'm, I'm not crying when I'm sleeping. So I'm yeah, fifty percent <laughs> of the day.
2: <laughs> um, but uh, I kind of just justified everything in my head, which was was not good. Um, you know, and I. I have a lot of guilt about this, but I really just spent so much of that year um, after Connor came home in March of 2019. um, I just was wishing his infancy away. I didn't want to be scared of RSV. Mm. I didn't want LOL because COVID was right around the corner. But um, I was just so, um, yeah, I, I was busy taking care of a very needy, creamy baby and was scared of the outside world Mm -hmm. and wasn't taking care of myself. Um, So I spent so much time uh, just being excited for Connor to be one adjusted, which would have been March, 2020, um, which was when (laughs) our pediatrician. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I only laugh. Yay. Trauma. (laughs) No, I know. But that it's so, again, I, I'm in a place that I can laugh now, but (laughs) at the time it, I can assure you it was, awful. Um, but we had plans to participate in the March of Dimes uh, walk with our NICU nurses um, in March of 2020. That was going to be our first family outing because we had been in quarantine during f- flu season. Um, and then COVID hit. Mm. So uh, yeah, I've, I upped my amount of time in therapy. <laughs> um, in July of 2020, I finally saw a psychiatrist Um, and I started taking antidepressants, Mm -hmm. which has been Mm life-changing.
0: Um,
2: you know, I, I definitely struggle still. Um, but, you know, definitely not to the level I was struggling before. I, I wasn't having intrusive thoughts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, thoughts of, thoughts of, um, just thinking Connor would be better without me Mm. (laughs) thinking that if I, what would happen if I just got in the car and left, like he would be better because I'm not a good mom Mm. and he deserves a good mom. And just these things that are a clear, clear indicator Mm. of mental health Mm. (laughs) problems. So, um, yeah, I just recently started doing EMDR therapy Mm. with my same therapist. Mm. Um, but I am just now three years later in a space that I feel safe enough to do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, and the other part of my my healing journey that I think has been so important is we have such a good relationship with our NICU nurses. Um, we celebrate birthdays with them. Mm. So far, Connor has celebrated all of his birthdays with them. Um, we keep in touch, we text, and it's just so special. That's um, so sweet. that has been so healing for my mama heart. Yeah. And now that Connor can like talk and interact, um, it's just so special mm-hmm. watching those relationships. Uh, it makes me really happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of, I, throughout your episode, I've, I've sensed this recurring theme, Sarah, of, and I just want to commend you for this, of throughout your journey, both in pregnancy, NICU, and now, really um, giving yourself permission to honor what your heart needs. I heard it the moment you talked about needing to sleep before you went back to the NICU, even from when they expected you to hook up a pump to yourself and setting a boundary and being like, I need a minute. (laughs) And now looking at your healing journey and seeing that, you know, you you gave yourself permission to get to a safe place in your healing before starting something like EMDR, because it's yeah. really tempting to just want to get through it, get over it, work through it, and just push. And then all of a sudden, it was too much, too soon, too fast, and we're on that roller coaster again. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I really want to commend you, and, and thank you for the reminder that it's okay to honor where you are. In fact, it's it's a really good thing to do that, and um, it's just been a really cool theme throughout your whole entire episode. Yeah, that's so sweet of you to say. I, I appreciate that.
2: Um, I I utilize therapy, and I would encourage moms to utilize therapy to just get through what you're doing today. Yeah. And when you feel like you start showing up to therapy appointments and you're not in constant distress, then maybe it's time to, to start unpacking some of the trauma from the NICU. But honestly... Pretty much until like this calendar year or like the Mm -hmm. end of 2021, um, I was not ready. I was still very much needing just support getting through today, let alone trying to go back and relive and unpack all of the trauma
0: (laughs) from the past. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sweet Sarah, you have been a wealth of wisdom throughout the entire episode. I think I can speak for all of us to say that there's many nuggets that we've jotted down or put in the back of our minds to think about. But you know, as kind of a closing thought, you know, what's one piece of encouragement that you would give to other preemie NICU moms that are listening? Yeah. So, um, I definitely would say
2: that uh, the most important thing is that you are not alone even though that sounds corny um and it really feels like it you are not alone Mm um utilize the people around you for help and seek out new NICU mama friends for connection um I think that it's been so critical and personally for my healing journey um but it took me a while to be ready to connect with other NICU moms Mm -hmm. so taking that into consideration too, leaning on your family and friends, and when you're ready to get that support and you're ready to hear other NICU stories, um, there's a community for you. And I think that's really important. Um, Mm -hmm. My other piece of advice I would give to preemie moms and really all NICU moms is that all of our babies are on their own Growth and development mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get into it here, but Connor's really small for his even his adjusted age, um, and it's so hard not to compare. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I definitely struggle with that still, um, but really, all of our babies are amazing, mm-hmm. and they're gonna do things on their own time, um, and just find a pediatrician that you trust and just go with the flow, mm.
0: yeah. <laughs> just follow their lead. Mm-hmm beautiful well sarah it has been such an honor and just a treat to have you on the podcast your episode is one that we've wanted to do for quite some time so i'm really glad that we finally had the opportunity to share yours and connor's story and just want to thank you again for being a part of this sisterhood and being such a special part of it it's such an honor to know you and now to be able to tell your story we just we're just so grateful for you thanks guys thanks for having me (laughs) and to any of our NICU mamas listening that are currently in the NICU out of the NICU we just want to echo what Sarah said that you are never ever alone no matter the COVID restrictions that have kept you away from people um, we just want to remind you that you are loved you are seen by this community and no matter what you are walking through today you have a sisterhood that stands alongside you so thank you so much for your patience over these past couple months it's so good to be back with you and we will be back next week have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or a private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.